his former colleague, Surgeon Stephen Shea. He is not the kind of person that you would uh, even begin to associate with something as brutal as a triple homicide. They were brutally beaten, savagely murdered. That's not Jeff. Another friend, Dr. Kathy Mitz. He truly believes in what we base our America on, the American way of life, the American justice, John Wayne, mom, apple pie. It's true, he's really like that. The jury reached its verdict in a complicated case after six and a half hours of deliberations. The court clerk read it to a packed courtroom. It said, we the jury find the defendant, Jeffrey McDonald, guilty in the second degree in the death of his pregnant wife, Colette. The verdict was the same for five-year-old Kimberly, but the jury found McDonald guilty in the first degree in the death of two-year-old Kristen. Minutes after the verdict was reached, Judge Franklin Dupree said he was ready to pass sentence. McDonald told the judge, Sir, I am not guilty. I don't believe the jury heard all the evidence. But Judge Dupree then sentenced him to three consecutive life sentences. I love my wife and my children very much. I never physically assaulted anyone in my life, and certainly not my wife and my two children. And yet the jury found you guilty in six and a half hours. Yeah, after nine years of changed evidence and an orchestrated trial. Why did Green Beret Captain Dr. Jeffrey McDonald kill his wife and children? He says he didn't. A jury says he did. You may remember the crime back in 1970 while Dr. McDonald was serving at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. His pregnant wife and their two daughters, aged two and five, were brutally murdered in their army home. McDonald claimed they were slaughtered by four drug-crazed intruders, but eventually he was convicted and he went to prison for life. McDonald says now he will shortly file an appeal. When we spoke to him recently in prison, he continued to insist he is the victim of a monumental miscarriage of justice. Okay, welcome listeners to Yeah, Uh-Huh with Lisa and Phil and of course, Aaron Leckinger, our frequent flyer from California whose arms must be tired. Many this greetings. week, we're talking to Kenneth Williams and we are talking about the Jeffrey McDonald case. Yeah, welcome, Kenneth. Yep. Uh, we had such a good time last time talking about... Mm-hmm the Manson case mm-hmm. and mentioned this case at that time. And it was like, I couldn't remember it, but I started to you know do some reading online and stuff. And I found out about the movie from 1984, a TV movie for Fatal Vision starring mm-hmm. Gary Cole, who for point of reference was uh, Lundberg and Office Space and Mike Brady in oh, the Brady movie. For Pretty- those who are keeping track, Office Space is Philip's favorite movie. Love that movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. would love to go out and kill a printer mm-hmm. like that. So it's good to have you back. Maybe you'll get to. Yeah. Thank you, sir. It's my honor and my pleasure. I had such a wonderful time last time, and I'm extremely excited to be here for this particular topic. Cool. Awesome. I, uh, I did lead them when they were out here in California as close mm-hmm. as they could get the car to uh, where the Spawn Ranch was in the Santa, in the Santa Susana Pass. Yeah, that is, they, that they were telling me that yeah. they were they were telling me that man, and that is so cool, brother. I mean, it's you a know, spooky place I, to hike in there, yeah, especially being so close to um, that nuclear meltdown that happened in the 
fifties and sixties. Oh. Yeah, I think that would bother. That would make me a little more spooked than uh, the murders. Maybe the Manson family yeah. came out of the ground or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it all spooks me. Fallout or something. Yeah. And it's a it's a state it's an old stagecoach road, and I can't imagine how stagecoaches <laughs> went down these little narrow rocky roads. Right. Yeah, haven't right. driven up it or ridden up up, up uh-huh. it. Yeah, I mean it was pretty treacherous. Were you were driving on. You were, we were driving on concrete. You know, they they were riding stagecoaches down these rocky mountain passes, and um, they would they would be hitting the brakes so hard it would cause sparks to set the bottom of the uh, bottom of their carts on fire. Right. Crazy. Wow. They have to have somebody in the cart, like dousing the fire, or yeah. did it? Not well, they happen? lost a lot of carts. Oh, okay. Yeah, huh. um, it did. It did give you a weird feeling to be there. But if you go online on YouTube, there are a lot of really good videos of people that did what Aaron actually did mm-hmm. and gone down into the into the site and down into the canyon to see some of the sites. To, you know, so yeah, we just stopped at the gate with the car. Yeah, but all right. So let's get mm-hmm. into the Jeffrey McDonald case. I don't know if we can do it from a documentarian standpoint, justice, the way that some mm-hmm. of these other things have done. Mm-hmm. The But we're having a conversation. We're having a conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Where was the mil- What state was the military base? Is Fort Bragg, North Carolina, which happens to be notorious for a lot of domestic violence and crimes. I don't know if that's because it's the largest military base in the country and it's just pure numbers. Probably a factor. Yeah, but there does seem to be a high number of uh, crimes committed at Fort Bragg. Mm-hmm. So that's, but the movie uh, Wilderness of Error, the documentary of F- from FX from last year was a very good resource for this. I did not read Fatal Vision, but I did listen to a podcast called morally indefensible all right so we're talking about february 17 1970 in fort bragg north carolina at Mm -hmm. 544 castle drive Mm -hmm. on the military base yeah so so how did the hippies get on the military base question so we have jeffrey mcdonald and his Mm -hmm. wife colette and his two children kimberly and Kristen. um Mm -hmm. on a just a regular normal evening they had dinner at about 5 45 they kind of watched a movie they put the children to bed at a reasonable time around nine o'clock colette and jeffrey watched a little more tv before colette went off to bed um, jeffrey nodded off he got up around two o'clock from his accounts this is all from his accounts and he went into the bedroom and found out that one of his children had wet the, his side of the bed i guess they had crawled into bed with mom and so he went back out to the sofa. living room sofa, fell back asleep, and then was mm-hmm. woken about an hour and a half later, about 3.30 in the morning. And he left that out. heard and saw. Colette was pregnant. Colette was pregnant, yes. Okay, with sorry. another child. Mm-hmm. And he was woken around 3.30, mm-hmm. and in his drowsy eyes, he saw the form of a woman standing there with a white floppy hat, sunglasses, and white uh, boots. Mm-hmm. And she was kind of imploring the man that was standing beside her not to hurt Jeffrey yet or something, but she was uttering something like death to pigs. And she mm-hmm. also said, uh, acid is groovy. She kept saying these things over and over. <laughs> so Jeffrey made a point that that, that was what he was taking in at the time, mm-hmm. but eventually he heard that there was in it, his wife's room. He started to hear screams and a rustling and he 
charged in there and found that she was being attacked by someone with some sort of weapon. He couldn't tell exactly what it was at the time, but he jumped on him. Yeah. And in the struggle, his pajama top got went over his head. His arms became essentially bound where he couldn't do anything. And mm-hmm. he said he was uh, stabbed multiple times. He passed out from blood loss. <laughs> then he woke up it's a short time later. Apparently everyone, the, the culprits, had, the culprits, parentheses, had left at that point. And he called the MPs. And when he called the MPs, he sounded very, you know, distraught and everything. And they responded, came to the house. He wound up going to the hospital. Eventually he was able to give an account. The account that is loosely what I just gave, you know, mine is loosely what he gave to the MPs, obviously. But mm-hmm. that's basically the account he gave of what happened. So we'll stop there. Is there any? Is there anything that I've missed about the? I mean, there's quite the a bit. The fact that, that he was. Uh, let me ask: Is there anything in there that talks about Kenneth? Did he have a history of domestic abuse? Uh, no, per se. He was known to have a temper. Um, when they started to look at him, you know, that was very interesting to them. Plus, you know, he had several extramarital affairs. You know, but none of that points to murder. Right. You know, so. And then here's the thing. The police tend to find the husband. They see a couple of those things and and they're done. They're not even going to look. Well, the controversy in this case starts very early. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things, and, and he mentioned it, that when he woke up, he noticed a girl and he said with a blonde wig. Now, how he knew she had a blonde wig on, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, well, especially um, since there was a floppy hat, right? Exactly. You know, um, there was also a black man with a field jacket on and then another guy. But what came out later, which was part of the controversy and one of the things that really, you know, geared me up was there was an actual MP that reported on his way to the crime scene. He saw a girl in a blonde wig and a floppy hat sitting at a bus stop on base and nobody ever went back to check it out. Yeah. Huh. Was that, uh, you said it was a, a woman, right? That mm-hmm. made the ID, but there was also an, uh, another person. His name is Milne, um, James Milne, who claimed, I think he claimed to see them at a coffee shop nearby on the night of the murder as well. The woman? They claimed to see the, the, the culprits, right? The woman plus the other. Was he? Because I've read the same information. Mm -hmm. And what I got was there was a coffee shop owner. And most of this stuff that we're talking about now has never been allowed into court proceeding. Yeah. Which seems kind of, yeah. Right. You know, uh, there was a guy that was the owner of a coffee shop or donut shop. And he had came forward later and said that uh, probably about six o'clock in the morning of the murders, that three people fitting the description came in, went to his washroom and washed up. And he said that he was pretty sure they had blood on them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So these are all things that support Mm -hmm. McDonald's claim that that's Mm -hmm. what happened. Yes. And, Mm -hmm. and, but the MPs weren't buying it. I mean, it didn't take them long, a day or so before they started saying, look, we investigated the crime scene. There was no 
forced entry that we could tell. One of the weapons that was used was a slat from under the bed of one of the kids. Why would they come to a crime scene without the weapons that they needed to do? Because they're Nazi high. Well, <laughs> um, good answer. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. but then. And why not? Lots of people. If you bring your weapon, it's premeditated. True. If you use on-site weapons, you know, right. for the same reason that my father taught me to take a um, a pencil or a pen with me instead of a knife. Right. Because if you stab somebody in the carotid artery with a pen, it works just as well. And the police aren't saying, why'd you have a knife? <laughs> why'd you have a pen? Like uh, I'm a human. Yeah. Well, I, I yeah, think a, a I also lot had of the, a crossword puzzle book. <laughs> I think a lot of the wounds, and I, mm-hmm. boy, I can't remember the number, but it was it was pure brutality. You yeah. know, I, I want to say Colette was stabbed like sixteen times, and both of the girls were stabbed over thirty times, and they were both beat with baseball bats. You know, uh, yeah. uh, one of the things that pointed towards Jeffrey was <laughs> that. Even though the girls both were found in their beds in their bedrooms, mm-hmm. they did find blood from one of the girls on the wall of the bedroom of the master bedroom where Colette was. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, but right. you know, a couple other things that um, you know were very interesting to me. Uh, number one, there was an MP that comes forward many years later, and he admits uh, that the crime scene was horribly mishandled. He said at one point in time, neighbors were walking into the house during this active crime scene, you know. The breakup case. Right. That seems to be a common refrain in a lot of older cases. cases That Mm -hmm. that really wasn't an attempt to secure the crime scene or, you know, keep it from being contaminated. But you would think on a military base involving the MPs, that would not be a problem. You'd think. I mean, in 1970, what were the protocols? Right. Well, so, okay, so the MPs looked at things. There were other things that led them to the, to the thought that maybe he did it, too. And that, and that was the pretty blatant uh, copycat nature of the, the word pig that was written on the back, the, the bedboard. Mm-hmm. The um, headboard. Mm-hmm. The headboard and, and Colette's blood, I think. And then also. What there was the was, acid quote again? Acid is groovy. She just kept saying acid is groovy over and over. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that doesn't sound, that sounds like a a conservative white man's rendition of what's. Yeah, Yeah, it does seem a little, you know. A little, yeah. A little too. But, you know, it was a sick, that was a word that was used back then, 1970. But but there, there was a Life magazine, I think, that was on the floor and happened to be opened to a article about the Manson family. Mm-hmm. And there was also articles in that you know, follow up art- articles, mm-hmm. I guess, about the mm-hmm. effects of drugs and the mm-hmm. the way that it causes that type of aggressive behavior and things. And and I just want to say here, it's 1970 and they're on a military base. They might not lock their door. So no signs of forced entry means the door wasn't locked. That could be. That's Very entirely possible. possible. I mean, 1970, on a military base, people aren't supposed to get on the base without checking in, right? Well, I, I don't know how strict it was back in 1970. Based on the, well, based on the fact that there was a bus stop on the base. Right. 
that's not uh, the, the facts. Well, maybe part of it was secured, but maybe not the housing part was like, maybe that was on the base, but outside a fence. Yeah. Well, I, I do know, and I can't remember his name now, but he was Helena Stokely's boyfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was a Vietnam veteran. Okay. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know if he carried some kind of ID card or, you know, being a veteran gave him access to the base. Um, mm-hmm. the, Greg, the black, Mitchell. Greg Mitchell, yes. Now, the, who was he? he? He was later implicated as one of the potential one culprits the and the one okay. that may have killed Colette. Okay. And he was an ex-military man. Mm-hmm. And he had a history. He had a really dark history in Vietnam where he would mm-hmm. do some really bizarre stuff after, mm-hmm. you know, yeah on the battlefield and stuff so a lot of people got broken in vietnam yeah well i mean you know to me that could explain how they were possibly to get on the base and then you know they were also running with the black guy that that wore an army field jacket so you know what was he still active military you know was he signing them on the base you know i mean who knows so or did he shop army surplus right That's easy enough, isn't it? He's going I had an army field jacket in high school. <laughs> yeah. You wore yeah, that thing I've seen out. pictures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was my dad's. But they did have an MP trial. Mm-hmm. And in the trial, he, he mm-hmm. largely got off on uh, acquitted in that MP trial or the uh, army yeah. based trial because, mm-hmm. for one, the testimony of people that corroborated, you know, we talked about the MP that saw, you know, that corroborated his case or story. Mm-hmm. Also, his father-in-law, mm-hmm. Alfred Kassab, spoke mm-hmm. on his behalf for him during the mm-hmm. military trial. They just didn't have enough uh, evidence to convict him, and he was acquitted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's what it came down to, was most of the evidence that they had was circumstantial. Right. You know? And I think the biggest piece of evidence that they were trying to use at the time was mm-hmm. the fact that he was hardly injured. You know, and to them, you know, him being a surgeon, he would have known exactly how to cut himself, where to cut himself, where it wouldn't be, you know, too terribly damaging. Right. Yeah, that's right. He was a doctor. He was a Green Beret surgeon. And you would think, the other thing is that you would think that if you were to attack a McDonald guy was a surgeon? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A murderer. The alleged murderer. Yes, the alleged murderer. <laughs> well, he's convicted murderer. You can, cut, you can call him. I don't know. We got we've got the murderer and we got the culprits. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But you you would think that if you were to take on a if you were going to do something like that, you'd want to take out the man first. Let's mm-hmm. be honest. He's the one that could do who could prevent you from committing the crime or whatever. Or you yeah, be the so biggest threat to the. Unless the reason why he knew she was wearing a blonde wig is because he knew her. Oh, he did know her. Oh, okay. He had it. Was she one of his paramours? Uh, no, 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 no. Um, there's information that came out eventually, and this is very interesting as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Jeff was an overachiever. He that was everybody said that about him. Of course, you know, if you're a surgeon and you got to be a green beret, okay, I get it, you know, mm-hmm. but he, he also moonlighted in a drug clinic outside of the base. And so information came out that Helena Stokely, uh, Greg Mitchell, and this other guy had 
come to him several times trying to get him to pres prescribe them drugs mm. and he wouldn't do it. Well, it also came out later that Colette had been cornered by these three and told that if their husband didn't give them drugs, some bad things were going to happen. Uh -oh. So maybe that's why she wanted him held for later. So when you when you look at that, in some ways, that's a stronger motive than mm -hmm. anything they ever came up with for him for him to be the killer. Mm -hmm. because that's the biggest stickling, sticking point. It's like, why in the hell would he do There's What would be the motivation to do this? So, okay, so he may have been a philanderer. They said he may have had up to 15 girlfriends, but then he boasted about mm -hmm. that stuff too. That doesn't seem like a good reason for something like this. There, there wasn't a great insurance payoff or anything, right? Or she, not, not, not that I'm aware of. Yeah, threatening mm -hmm. to divorce him. Or, I mean, there's really no good motive. For, but this thing with the, the drugs to a drug-addled mind, that could be... That could be enough to push, you know, conceivably. Yeah. I mean, that is a motive, at least, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, here's my problem with all of this, okay? And we originally touched base on this because I asked you if you'd ever read the book Fatal Vision. Well, Fatal Vision, when I read the book, it's personally, you know, I would read a chapter and that chapter would make it feel like Jeff was guilty. Then the next chapter would kind of pushed doubt in my mind. Yeah. Right. You know, so my thing has always been since I read this book is to get as much information about this case as I possibly could, mm -hmm. because th this is where I stand from a personal perspective. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I've been, I've been accused of being overly analytical many, many times. I, I, <laughs> I put myself in the place of a juror and knowing what I know about the American justice system and the saying beyond the shadow of a doubt, mm -hmm. I just don't feel like that I could sit in a jury room and not have doubt. You right. know? And I, I'm by no means am I saying, I think Jeffrey McDonald is innocent or guilty. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking there's so much doubt. There's enough doubt for me not to personally be able to convict him. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, so he, after he was acquitted, he moved to California and became an ER doctor. And he, I think he lived in Long Beach, right? Then he you would think, you would mm -hmm. think that someone who's just got gotten away, you know, was able to uh, escape a uh, lifetime incarceration or possibly the death penalty or something like that. You, you feel like they might be more diminutive or more uh, shy about uh, sticking your neck living out, living a quieter life, living a quieter life, being thankful or whatever. Mm -hmm. But he didn't. He started going on a war path to try to vindicate and and to rehab his rep. To re rehab his rep, and he did mm -hmm. that first by doing a talk show tour. He was on the Dick Cavett show. My next guest is Dr. Jeffrey McDonald. He wrote <laughs> I hope this isn't too painful for you. Uh, my wife came home and we had a uh, before bedtime drink, really, and uh, watched the beginning of a late night talk show. There were people in the army who wanted a court martial, regardless of any evidence. Where are these investigators now who did the uh, original? Well, most of them have been transferred. It's it's the army way of handling things. If someone really fouls up, you either give them a medal or you transfer them. Uh -huh. and, uh, went on there and. 
Cavett was very receptive to him at first. And so was the audience, you know, that this is a man that's been through hell. He's not only lost his family, he had to put up with these accusations and mm-hmm. scrutiny. And, by the, and within a half an hour, the nation turned against him because he was so kind of arrogant and uh, vindictive, mm-hmm. uh, you know, smooth talker. People didn't really sympathize. He kind of put himself on trial needlessly there. Yeah, and it, it was, uh, from what Philip's saying, it was me, me, me. No, like, oh, my wife, oh, my children. Yeah. I mean, can it? Well, you know, that's absolutely true. And that's part of what turned Kassab against him. Mm-hmm. That is one part of it. The fact of the matter is, is the man, not only was he an overachiever, he was a narcissist. Right. No doubt, no, you know, no shadow of a doubt that he was a narcissist. You yeah. know, and, you know, but again, being a narcissist doesn't necessarily make you a murderer. Right. Exactly. Right. But it does draw attention to yourself. And he, right. he he did interviews with journalists and things like that, where he would boast about his affairs with women. And he would talk about like he liked to be pursued by women. And and um, he would talk about, uh, you know, just his general, um, just how great he was. <laughs> yeah, he, he wasn't very remorseful at all. And, you know, and that's what I just said that, you know, this part of what turned Kassab against him. Right. You know, the other part was that you were right. Kassab did testify for Jeffrey, but it was a military uh, court. So it wasn't open. It wasn't public. So Kassab couldn't be in there, you know, except for when he was testifying. And after after the army had decided to acquit him or drop the charges and give him the out and give him the discharge, you know, Kassab was, you know, contacting Jeffrey and saying, Hey man, you know, give me some copies of the, of the testimony at this court proceeding, you know, and Jeff was always like, you know, he had an excuse or, you know, he would say, okay, I'll do it, but he would never get around to it. So eventually Kassab went around Jeffrey and he got... They also were everything to his wife, Colette's mother and stepfather, Mildred and Freddie Kassab, who proclaimed McDonald's innocence and stood by him from the first. They swore with him that they would find the murderers. And after he took off for California, they continued to search for the killers. They began by reviewing the unpublished Army Tribunal records and arrived at a stunning conclusion that the killer was their own son-in-law, Jeffrey McDonald. You see, you have to remember that I went through that transcript with a fine-tooth comb. I must have read that transcript at least a hundred times. I got permission from the government, and with agents, I was allowed in the house to reconstruct the murders Mm. from his story of what happened in that house that night. And nothing fit, absolutely nothing. It couldn't have happened the way he said it did. Absolutely impossible. Okay. And what I had read was that he spent pretty much the better part of two weeks in his house just reading these documents. Mm-hmm. And he would read and he would say, well, that's a blatant ass lie right there. That's a lie. That's yeah. a lie. Mm-hmm. You know, so by the end of the two weeks, he had convinced himself that Jeffrey had lied through the entire trial and that mm-hmm. he was guilty. He was the one that had killed his daughter. 
Well, that's that's interesting because I was thinking. And my thing is, if what, he if he let him in his house, then I don't have a problem with him reading the journals. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I mean, I how much did he and how much did he cause the the civilian trial with his own hubris? Yeah. You know, would it be would it have even happened if he had not gone on Cabot, if he had not done the interviews? Now, what you're saying here mm-hmm. is that it, it came from the the MP trial or the, the mm-hmm. military trial. Yes. But that's that's a little different. I mean, that's some concrete uh, information that Kassab was taking and, and maybe it would have gone to the federal trial anyway. Mm. But it just seemed like that he was his worst, uh, own worst Is enemy. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, he... he may have believed that after the military trial, they couldn't try him again. Um, that's very possible, you know, but, you know, the military is right. Military and what he got tried and convicted in a civilian case. Yeah, yeah. civilian court. There is a civilian lawsuit involved in this case. So mm-hmm. he was well. arrested again, and he was going to go on trial in a civilian case. And when he was preparing for the trial, he had brainstorm. I'm going to get out in front of this. I'm going to get a ghostwriter. I'm going to get them to write my story exactly the way I want it to be. And it's going to exonerate, it's going to carry me right to this trial. It's going to exonerate me in the public mm-hmm. eye. Another example of hubris, right? So he yeah. started uh, mm-hmm. recruiting writers and he came across a guy by the name of Joe McGinnis. McGinnis had written a mm-hmm. book about Nixon and mm-hmm. Nixon had the impression when this book was being written that he had, a, you know, that this was going to be a friendly voice as well. And it turned mm-hmm. out, that McGinnis turned on, on Nixon as well and, uh, you know, garnered the scorn of like William F. Buckley, other conservatives, people in Nixon's cabinet. So uh, Jeffrey McDonald should have known if he had done his homework, he would have known that maybe this was not the right journalist for the job. But instead, but he did invite him out to Long Beach to yeah. his house. Mm-hmm. The guy's got Which along like, you know, best buddies, stupid. you know, like mm-hmm. uh, Mud and Jeff, you know, like they were both yeah. into running. They were like really fit dudes, you know, and they like to drink beer mm-hmm. together and stuff. And, and, they, mm-hmm. and uh, so McGinnis and McDonald were like, you know, really hitting it off. And so they agreed to do the deal. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think McDon- McDonald insisted on a uh, an agreement be signed between them that McGinnis essentially was not to do or say anything to um, hurt his uh, reputation or his character. So I believe that means he was aware of the Nixon book. Well, maybe. Yeah, and maybe may- McGinnis said, I didn't go into this planning to put Nixon down. Yeah. But Nixon's story came out like this. Yeah. Now, you know, that, that's pretty interesting because that's the mm-hmm. same thing that McGinnis said about Jeffrey, the Jeffrey McDonald book. Yeah. Exact same thing. He said, I went into yep. it to write it the way Jeff wanted it, but I eventually Couldn't. came to think that he was guilty. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote it. I wrote it the way I did. Mm-hmm. Why don't we go ahead and stick our commercial break in here? Uh-huh. Reporter Joe McGinnis spent three years investigating Jeff McDonald who granted him total access to his family, his friends, all his records, so that McGinnis might write the definitive book about him. It is called Fatal Vision. Thumbnail sketch of Jeffrey McDonald, the man you know. Charming, engaging, and absolutely ruthless and beyond morality. And yet he has all of these friends who lived with him for 10 years. 
would say, McGinnis, you don't know what you're talking about. This is a gentle, caring, decent, fine, giving man. That's all true. That's all true. I'm not in any way attempting to deny that he's any of those things. All I'm saying is that on the basis of attending the trial every day and spending three years of full-time research afterwards, that there's no question that this gentle, caring, giving man also beat and stabbed to death his pregnant wife and his two young daughters. This, this brings up something else very interesting as far as I'm concerned. And, uh -huh. uh, you know, he did stay with Jeff. He stayed with, in Jeff's home when he was out writing the book. Well, after the book came out, Jeff blew a gasket. You know, he's like, oh, wait a minute, man. And he eventually wound up suing McGinnis. Which is where the civil case comes in. Right. And uh -huh. the interesting part to me was that McGinnis settled out of court. Mm. That he paid him uh, a settlement out of court. Now, mind you, Philip's like, well, it was a settled case. And, but to me, he accepted the settlement. He, he got an admission that maybe there was something that he could be, mm -hmm. you know, found okay. guilty. But that depends on the terms of the settlement. That's true. I think that the, the I'm uh, sure there's an NDA. I think McDonald was um, trying to sue for yeah. 15 million dollars, and they settled for something like 370 thousand dollars or something like so that. So he got off easy. I mean, it's not a slap on the wrist, but it's a slap outside the face. But the thing is, mm -hmm. McDonald still I, he still gets one third of the profits of the sell the selling of uh, Fatal Look. Vision, right, or his estate or whatever. I mean, he, that was a part of the original terms, too. He was to get one-third of the profits from the book. And that, and this book predates the law that says that a uh, criminal cannot profit uh, after the fact from their crimes. McGinnis based his book mm -hmm. on notes that he found while staying in McDonald's house that McDonald had written for his military trial. Notes he had written for his lawyer. Mm -hmm. And... In those notes, I don't, I don't necessarily, okay, so in those notes, he disclosed, he finally came up with what may have been a motive for McDonald to commit the crime. And, and it was actually, he was taking the drug Escatrol. Wait, according to the note, which I've seen, three to five Escatrol he has taken. We don't know if he's taken it over a period of several weeks or if he's taken three to five Escatrol a day or a week or a month. We do know that if you take three to five Escatrol over a month, you're not going to lose 15 pounds from doing so. I never stated that to anyone, and I did not, in fact, lose 15 pounds. I also wasn't taking Escatrol. We ate dinner together at 5.45 p.m. It is possible I had one diet pill at this time. I do not remember and do not think I had one, but it is possible. I had lost 12 to 15 pounds in the prior three to four weeks hmm. in the process using three to five capsules of Escatrol Spansu. I was also... Three to five capsules for the three weeks. According to this. Right. According to this. And that's a possibility. Then why would you put it down here that, that there was even a possibility? These are notes given to an attorney who has told me to bear my soul as to any possibility so we could always be prepared. Mm -hmm. so but you've I, already told me that you didn't lose 15 pounds in the three weeks prior. I don't think that I did. 
You, it's in your notes. I had lost 12 to 15 pounds in the prior three to four weeks in the process using three to five capsules of Escatrol Spansules. That's speed. And he mentioned in his notes that he was taking, you know, two or three doses of Escatrol a day. He had lost, it's a weight loss drug and it's speed. And the drug helped him lose those 15 pounds in three weeks. But eventually that drug was taken off the shelves because it was known to cause rage. It was known to cause violence and rage. So, I mean, that might not so much be a motive as a reason, but what you do is that sets you up for it wasn't me, you know, kind of like I killed him while I was asleep. Yeah. 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 You could say that, you know, I mean, what do you guys think? I I agree. Uh, You know, I mean, you could easily say, you know, I was under the influence of, you know, a mind altering drug. So, you know, I wasn't in my right mind. There was, there's a movie. I I do say acid is groovy. (laughs) (laughs) There's a movie where a, a a fairly recent one in the last like six years um, where a woman's husband is concerned about her mental illness and he pushes for her to be put on this medication and she either like she, she kills him and her defense is that she wasn't in her right mind because of this medication. Okay. How, how open and honest am I allowed to be right now? Hey, go for it. it. It's your own discretion, man. Is this off the record? Is this off the recording? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, I'm not ashamed of anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll just put it out like this, okay? I grew up in the 70s, and Uh I spent time in the military in the 70s and 80s. So there's not a drug I haven't tried. Even groovy acid, I've done that many times. My point is, I've done all the old school drugs that you can think of, and not once in my life have I ever thought about picking up something and killing somebody brutally murdering anybody, you know, I was more likely to, you know, go following behind the fairies and stuff. You know, I just thought that might be a point that needed to be made. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And it, and that kind of, to me, that puts it back into McDonald's arena because that's, that's him making that leap of logic. Well, Hey, they're just a bunch of drugged out, you know, free hippies, freaks, you know, they're, they're likely to take anything under the influence, Mm -hmm. but I mean, it'll make you susceptible to suggestion. And, and if you get someone like uh, Manson kind of pushing you. Uh, well, good but, point. But, I mean, the only thing is that this is a specific drug that he mentions that they can't now prove he wasn't on it. Right. And it does, according to the doctors, everyone cause this issue. I was Had on the medication. Prescribed to him. Well, that's he the was other a thing. doctor. He was a doctor. He might have been he, able to. Yeah. Get Is those. a doctor allowed to prescribe things? He's to a himself? doctor in the seventies. Technically, no. Techn- but- yeah, technically no. But neither was Nurse Jackie, right? Yeah. Right, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, we're talking about his legal case here. Yeah. Well, True. the thing is, he didn't. He didn't deny. He denied. That might be why they didn't use it as a defense. He denied that he used Escatrol at all. Hmm. Well, he, you know. Did they use it at all? So that was so, that was interesting. After when uh, McGinnis brought that to light in his book, mm-hmm. McDonald denied it because he was on mm-hmm. sixty minutes when he mm-hmm. found first when he found out about 
Fatal Vision, he was doing a 60 Minutes interview with Mike mm -hmm. Wallace. McDonald first learned of McGinnis's conclusions when I talked with him in prison, and he was devastated. Why hasn't Joe McGinnis asked me, he says, about drugs and listened to my answer? Wait. According to the note, which I've seen, three to five Escatrol he has taken. We don't know if he's taken it over a period of several weeks, or if he's taken three to five Escatrol a day or a week. Or a month. We do know that if you take three to five Escatrol over a month, you're not going to lose 15 pounds from doing so. I never stated that to anyone, and I did not, in fact, lose 15 pounds. I also wasn't taking Escatrol. We ate dinner together at 5.45 p.m. It is possible I had one diet pill at this time. I do not remember and do not think I had one, but it is possible. I had lost 12 to 15 pounds in the prior three to four weeks hmm. in the process using three to five capsules of Escatrol Spansul. I was also... Three to five capsules for the three weeks? According to this. Right. According to this. And that's a possibility. Then why would you put it down here that, that there was even a possibility? Mm -hmm. But so you've I already told me that you didn't lose 15 pounds in the three weeks prior. I don't think that I did. You, it's in your notes. I had lost 12 to 15 pounds in the prior three to four weeks in the process using three to five capsules of Escatrol Spansules. That's speed. He had not gotten an advanced copy of the book as much as he had asked for it. He was blindsided. He, you know, Wallace was doing this interview, and Wallace kept revealing these things. Well, this book says that you took Escatrol and that you were completely out of your mind. And, and he denied it, you know, that he, did, he didn't even, you know, basically know what it was or didn't, it acted like he didn't. Hmm. And um, so he denied, and, and Wallace kept saying, "Well, it's right Which here." Which is what you right. do with Mike Wallace. Yeah, I'm not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what? Yeah, was that old Martin Short thing? It's not, I'm not being evasive. Are you being evasive? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not being cagey. What are you talking about? Uh, well, you you know this this is what makes me so passionate about this case. You know, mm -hmm. and, and I wish I could remember every little detail, but obviously I can't. We we just looked up these details it's all new to me well, 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 well there's there's so much stuff when you get into if you read the book fatal justice which is basically the um the anti-fatal vision book uh mm -hmm. it it lists all these things that was just terrible and corrupt in in the trial you know, I, I know, and I haven't looked it up in a while, but I know back in, oh gosh, I don't even know. Jeff was pleading for DNA and they wouldn't allow it into court, you know, and I know he fought that for years and years and years, you know, mm -hmm. and then, and then if you get into, and again, I, I'm only bringing up the things that bring doubt to me, you know, mm -hmm. if you bring up the fact that Helena Stokely on more than one occasion admitted to being in the house that night. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, Greg Mitchell, before he died, admitted to committing the murders. As a matter of fact, uh, I came across something a few years back where Greg Mitchell was in a local rehab or, um, you know, it was a, it was a house that was set up for drug addicts to clean up. Halfway house kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, kind of like a halfway house. And I guess he was staying in the basement and something happened. And 
he kind of went off and then he ran off. And when the people that ran the halfway house went down to his room, it was spray painted on the wall. I killed the McDonald's, you know? And the weird thing with that was that before the police could respond with an investigation, the walls got painted over. Huh? Hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I thought that was. Who just... would uh, spray paint that on their own wall? I, right. Yeah. Yeah. Really weird. But if they weren't, if they weren't the killer. Right. I, I'm well, I mean, you, well, know, I mean, you know, a fit of guilt. He, he started using <sighs> again. He had a fit of guilt. He kept using because of this murder that he committed that he felt bad about. I mean, it's possible. Uh, well, it is. And then, it's entirely possible that they may have been the killers and he might have actually felt worse about the murder than, uh, but he was, uh, okay, cute blonde honey trap gets these two guys to kill these people. One of them's actually a bad guy killer. The other one's a drug, a drug addict. Over the years, he feels guilty, he confesses, he recants, he feels guilty, he confesses, he recants. Well, I know that, uh, and we haven't talked about him yet. What was his name? Prince, um, Prince Prince something. He was uh, a local police and he used Helena Stokely as uh, a confidential informant. Yeah, and... He, he, that's who she admitted it to several times. But her thing was, and she told this guy repeatedly, you know, I will admit it to you, uh, but I'm not going to testify in court because mm-hmm. I don't want to risk being indicted, you know, for the murders. So plead the fifth. You well, know? she went, in, she went from, I, w- I had nothing to do with it to I may have been there. I took acid nine times a week. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> To I was definitely there and participated over mm-hmm. and over again. I, I watched a little interview of her with her on YouTube, and mm-hmm. she was a little bit older then. I guess she was she was pretty, you know, her memory was pretty bad, and <laughs> she was yeah. pretty drug addled, kind of mm-hmm. slow minded at that point after so much. Mm-hmm. In other instances, you advised you were not there, and then in October and December of 1980, you gave Mr. Beasley and me a statement. Wherein you advised that you were definitely there. Now, since then, last summer, as recently as last summer, the FBI contacted you and you said you don't recall being there. Can you tell us why you changed your mind through these last 12 years so many times? Yes, sir. Because at the time of the murders, I was involved with the satanic cult. Uh, since then, I've been contacted. I'm now pregnant. Uh, anyone who knows anything about witchcraft knows firstborn child can be sacrificed and will be. Uh, I've been threatened. Um, threats have been made on me, my family, and everyone else. So you, you change your story, or you? Your story I haven't is, changed my story. I'm only dropping names. It's buried. It's buried over the last twelve years because you're in fear of your life and the and more most recently because of your uh, forthcoming uh, new child um if you check it i don't think the story has vacillated that much mm-hmm. the fact that i am not involving people's names right now does 
And why are you not involving people's names? Because the uh, people that were with me that night were members of the cult. And I have been contacted since that time. And what did they say to you? Uh, they reminded me of certain rituals and things like that with the cult. What did they say specifically that they would do to you if you divulged their names or furnished any more details than you've already furnished? Specifically nothing. Didn't you tell us today that they threatened to split your stomach and take they your first said child? they could do that, but there's several different methods of taking care of the firstborn child. Have they told you this? Yes, sir. Is this one of the reasons why you're very concerned at this time? Yes, sir. You know, she gone Is she groovy? <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> uh, another couple of things that were very interesting to me. And I, you know, I've just, I've never been able to figure out why this case was so just, I don't know, I, you know, it was horrible, you know, from yeah. start to finish. The it was military, horrific. It was one of the first of its kind. The military didn't handle it well. And 10 years later, when McDonald was in civilian court, that wasn't handled very well either, you yeah. know, so... um I know that uh, a couple other things. Uh, number one, there was a guy that came forward, and I guess he was a supposedly a uh, a neighbor of the McDonald, and he stated that he called their house that night, and mm -hmm. that a strange person answered the phone, and pretty much told him the McDonalds can't come to the phone because they're dead, and hung up on him. Wow. You know, oh, well, what a responsible person for not calling. I, yeah, again, that's another I'm thing. I'm calling but, the authorities. But, but you know, mm -hmm. on the flip side of that, you got to remember that here's this guy testifying, hey, I drove right past a blonde-haired, a, a girl in a blonde wig and go-go boots and a floppy hat, and nobody yeah. ever went back to check it out. Well, here's another devil's advocate, though, that when something becomes that huge, when it becomes a phenomenon where one of the most popular miniseries and TV history is made out of it, how many people want a piece of the pie now? How many people uh, want to, you know, grab the coattails well, and say, and, and, I'm going to get my yeah. 15 minutes of fame, I'm going to write my book, I'm going to be on Dick Cavett. The most controversial true crime story of the decade, based on today's bestseller, Fatal Vision. <laughs> Conversely, who wants to be known as the place where this happened? The military base where strange hippies broke into a house and killed people. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you know, you brought up a very interesting point because most of the things that I'm saying that I'm talking about came out years later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I, yeah. I don't know why they were never allowed in any courtroom. You know, an, another uh, piece of I'm not going to call it testimony. Could they be corroborated just, in any way? You know, that's a piece that. of hearsay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's uh, that, that's a good question. I mean, but I mean, it fits the evidence. You mm -hmm. know, so I mean, circumstantial it oh, may be, but mm -hmm. you know, let's at least take a look at it. Right. right. If there was enough confusion for the military to uh, let him go. Then there was even more confusion by the time the federal case came across. Oh, <laughs> yeah. how did they convict him? That's an understatement. Well, I, you know that's that's a whole other conversation because you know there's so much 
involved there. I, there's there's some kind of infraction. I can't remember what it's called. And uh-huh. uh, this this infraction was committed 96 times mm. in in the McDonald case. There was someone he was related to someone oh, nice. that was involved in the military tribunal. Mm-hmm. So should have never been involved. He should have recused himself. Right. You know? huh. so. Okay. So civil trial, the trial where uh, McDonald sued McGinnis mm-hmm. for the 15 mil and that there was the settlement that became a big part of the story. There was a, book written called The Killer and a Journalist by Janet Malcolm. And she really advocated this idea that McGinnis had violated the terms of their agreement by going against McDonald in the book. Also, the the podcast Morally Indefensible really explores that whole thing. And we talked about there may have been some fire there with the smoke because there was a settlement. McGinnis didn't let it just go to uh, a jury. There was an actual settlement. So the fallout from from all of that has had its own lore or given it legs. It's it's kept the whole thing going all these years. It's kind of petered out them. Joe McGinnis died a few years ago from cancer. So I don't think he didn't see this resurgence of interest in the, the case. But there are people that are carrying it on, like Errol. Morris, who was the writer of A Wilderness of Error, which turned into that documentary series. But I think at this point, why don't we all kind of just give our own? Well, let's look, let's look a little bit one last time at the, at McDonald's assertions that it was this uh, group of uh, crazy hippies that did it, um, led by Elena Stokely. Were there any fingerprints or ballistic evidence or anything like that that uh, pointed toward rando hippies? No. Um, I I know there was uh, questionable evidence about a pair of plastic gloves. And I guess there was evidence that Jeffrey had washed his hands in the bathroom sink. You know, so that was obviously used against him. Yeah. So, the, so Jeffrey McDonald's DNA is in the sink. No random hippie DNA is uh, popped up anyway. Nope. Okay. He would have his DNA. I mean, it's odd that they didn't have their DNA, but like Philip just said, the crime scene was horribly mishandled. Yeah, it is. It was his house anyway, right? So right, right, yeah, right. House. I mean, yeah. you're going to find bloody DNA from me all over the place. I cut myself constantly and I check blood sugar. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm just kind of right here at this table. I up the two scenarios are here at the end and kind Uh of maybe then, then we give our opinions of what may have Mm -hmm. happened. I think if you're going to believe McDonald's account, you got to really suspend disbelief, I think. And, and here's my thing. The people that corroborated or at least saw Stokely and her compatriots, in some way, um, those people, how were they connected to him? Kenneth talked about how the fact mm-hmm. that, they, that he had denied them drugs when they had. No, I don't, I'm not talking about Stokely. I'm talking about the pit, the guy that saw the woman at the bus stop. Oh, yeah, okay. The, yeah. the coffee house. Right. Um, the, the confessions later on. Right. I agree. That complicates things. Yeah. Right. It very so much. The so. woman, 
with I a, think a blonde it's wig and a hat? Yes. How yeah. do you know it's a blonde wig and a hat? That's right. the thing. Well, they found the blonde wig. Well, he, and and he or would they have found a blonde okay. wig. So they so, said. So he, he said at, at the bus stop, I saw a blonde lady, or he said I, with a hat, no. or he said I saw a lady with a blonde wig and a hat with a blonde wig, okay. which is the same but, thing that McDonald said, and mm-hmm. I had the same reaction as you. You know, unless it's just some kind of strange color or, uh, yeah, just, you know, just it's like the the rainbow clown wig on Sunday football games. You're right, or, right, right. Or you know. if he knows the woman, he well, recognizes. If he, knew, if he knew the woman, he wouldn't say a a woman in a blonde wig and a hat. He'd say, you know, Patty Jones well, well, with a hat. Which is, which is a, an, another good point, you know. Um, well, but. Okay, I'm just going to devil's advocate here. He's been stabbed in the lungs. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a dangerous enough injury that he has to go to the hospital. We're going to ignore the fact that he's a doctor and could have figured out how to do it. And a surgeon to boot. But let's say just for, you know, just for kicks and giggles, they it was Stokely and the guys. She's standing over him. She wants him to know that his family's dead before he dies. That's why she says... Wait on him, number one. Number two, she's talking about love and acid because she wants him to know they want drugs. Maybe she's even thinking they can let him live and he'll be in fear of them and so he'll give them drugs to keep uh, them. Acid was probably still legal then? Yeah, you're probably right. Well, yeah, but they wanted other drugs, apparently. But then she kills, they kill him, they kill the family. He gets up enough to go upstairs to try to defend his wife, and he gets stabbed in the lungs, okay? What she's doing at this time, we don't know. Maybe she's in the bedroom killing the kids. But he knows this woman. He knows what she looks like. He knows she's wearing a wig. He's been stabbed in the lungs, so he says, you're looking for, they don't know they're looking for this Stokely woman. So he says, you need to look for a woman in a hat and a blonde wig. And then he passes out. Hmm. Wow. I All mean, right, Miss Columbo. Well, it's I, not impossible. Yeah. And, you know, no, as it's you, not possible. It's a good, mm-hmm. good synopsis. Okay. As you, were, as you were explaining that, it dawned on me, you know, even though I had read an article about them approaching Jeff for mm-hmm. drugs many times doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean they were personal, you okay. know, just three hippies coming into a clinic trying to get drugs, you know, I mean, yeah, did she actually come and say, Hey, my name's Helena Stokely, you know, can I get some drugs? Well, but they may have been treated for other things medically. At the possibly, clinic. possibly. Also, and they, if you get the prescription, yeah. it's easier if it's in your name. Yeah. Right. And then, and you, Kenneth, did indicate that she threatened Mrs. McDonald. Yeah. Who told them that she threatened? She got threatened. I don't even remember. Exactly. You know, because just... if it was him, it's suspicious. But if it was someone else, let's say her best friend is sitting there in court or her father is sitting there in court saying, my daughter was afraid of this woman. This woman was coming up to her and threatening her and, and you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think the point that I'm trying to make is that, 
you know, we're just coming out of the, out of the sixties. We're in the early 1970s. And basically I think these three people were just known as three acid head homeless people Mm -hmm. and nobody really paid a lot of attention to them. Right. You know, that's, that's what I get from everything. Make the perfect patsies. Oh, exactly. What about mm-hmm. during the ca- the case when they did a demonstration, the, the, the civilian trial, the one where he got convicted with three life sentences? What about the demonstration that the prosecuting attorneys did where they showed that the the stabbing with the ice pick produced nothing but clean entry, you know, entry points in the clothing? Um, whereas or, or ripping and tearing, ripping and tearing in the, in the courtroom when they did the demonstration, whereas at the crime scene, all of the puncture wounds from the ice pick were clean. There was no ripping and tearing as if the body or as if the target of the attack was already prone or already subdued. Okay, well, not, not moving. Um, not that was a woman and two children. And for all we know, the first... Maybe they got them in the heart with the first shot. Okay. Number one. Number two, he was a struggling um, Green Beret. Right. Well, I think the point they're trying to make there is that it was staged. Well, yes. Yeah. I understand that. Right. I'm being devil's advocate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, and this was the one piece of evidence that always confused me. And mm-hmm. it was huge. It was, it was huge in his conviction. And I remember them always talking about if you fold the robe so many times that the puncture holes line up exactly with the puncture wounds in Colette's body. Okay. You know, which I don't know, you know, that's, that just kind of confuses me. I I figure if you, if you fold something enough times, isn't it going to line up anyway? Yeah. Very. Well, know. the attorney's tasked with uh, convincing a jury. Mm-hmm. So you have to make it the sense. If it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. Well, well I, you know, and, and another, another good rumor that I ran across at some point, which I, I found this very interesting, mm-hmm. was that the CEO of the basis son was a big player in the drug scene. And that he may have been involved in all this and that they were covering it up to keep him out of trouble. I don't know if there's any merit to that or not, but, you know, I I do know there's, and you know, as we started this conversation early on, you know, I, I openly admitted that I'm not saying Jeff is guilty and I'm not saying he's innocent, but this is the most controversial case that I know of. If you really dig into this case, there are many, 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 many people that think Jeffrey did it. And there are many, 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 many people who think that he did not. You know, I'm sorry. I'm I'm sitting on the fence, but I don't necessarily think he should have been convicted. Uh, And see, that's where I'm at. You know, it's like it's like. um... I think I've used this analogy before in high school. Mr. Leonard spent two days, you know, going over the JFK assassination and said, I spent the last two days convincing you that Lee Harvey Oswald killed John F. Kennedy. 
I'm going to spend the next two days convincing you that he did not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did that go? It was great. Um, I was right on the fence, just like this. Yeah. 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 You know, it, I'm not it, a good jurist because I see both sides. How, how much easily. do you think the cult? We talked about the mm-hmm. culture of Fort Bragg and mm-hmm. the violence that's happened there. Mm-hmm. How much of it is is a pack mentality? How much of it is, is uh, you know military people saying um, we're not going to be we're not going to be uh, profiled mm-hmm. as uh, you know intrinsically uh, dysfunctional families? Violence, you know this man was victimized, you know, and, and there's, it's colored by, uh, uh you, you think what if the military covered it up? Well, maybe they didn't try as hard. Well, I'm thinking more of it in turn. That's a good point, but I'm thinking more in terms of the support for McDonald as a, as a, uh, as a fellow military, as a culprit, right. as a suspect. I mean, he's a respected doctor. Seems, he works with charity. Seems like he might have had some influence on, in making things happen on a military base in his favor. <laughs> well, um, you know, that's more about the cover up. Uh, yeah, I didn't, you're right. Maybe you know that could carry over to even more extreme uh, mm-hmm. defense. Yeah, that that I, I feel that that's probably probable. You know, but in in the long run this case has gotten so huge, you know, that I don't think that really had a bearing in the end. Mm-hmm. And know? in the long run, he convicted himself. Well, I, with the book and the tour and the publicity. Well, no, he, just, he just made the world aware that he's a dick. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, How far yeah, go though, you know, and, and, and in a this, lot of ways. Yeah. Best case, I'm a dick and I'm innocent. Worst case, right. I, I did it. Asshole. Well, here's the way I look at it, and, it, and this is this is my analytical attitude coming out. Number mm-hmm. one, he was convicted in 1981, so we're here in the year 2022, and he is still maintaining his innocence. Yeah, you know, I feel like and at, fighting for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I feel like at some point in time, you know, after you've been in prison for twenty plus years, you know, okay, you know, I did it. You know, I got caught. I did it, I, and I'm doing my time. Make my peace with the Lord or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. But it sounds like you know? he was an egotistical kind of guy that would have to fight it every time. Well, and uh, that that could very well be true. Kind of the P Rose syndrome. <laughs> On the, on the flip side of what I was talking about, mm-hmm. here's the other problem I have. Not only that he still maintains his innocence, but the brutality that was used to kill the two little girls. Right. Are there parents that can kill their children? Absolutely. You see it all the time. Chris strangled his kid. Right. He's a Green Beret. Right. You right. Know? I mean, he could have... Easily taking those girls out with mercy. Yeah. Uh, I'd say with mercy. Oh, that's a very good point. And I think yeah. that's what a lot of people Not are trouble. Violently. That's the thing. That he could either, he could take them out either way. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I, well I not, yeah, but I mean, as a parent. Yeah, as a parent. You know, if you, that's, were, if you but, were choosing. But he's also a colossal asshole and then, you know, right. egotistical that's, maniac. Yeah. But I, even so, I still think there's a a, a, a certain 
uh, mentality that goes with being a parent. You know, that, that is, that is, that is the pure form of love. As the a idea of being a, a green beret and a surgeon. It's like a butcher and a surgeon. Right. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's I mean, all, it's all. Right. Make it's them all, overdose cool. on sleeping medication. Right. Yeah. 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 That's, t- that's what people struggle with yeah. is that whole, that's the reason most people that support him. That's most, that's the thing they fall back on. The people that support McDonald feel like there's just no way because they, they, they would never be able to find that that within themselves they can't imagine anybody else being able to do something yeah. and that's yeah, but if, if he mm-hmm. doesn't feel sympathy or empathy for other people he mm-hmm. can do anything that anybody else would think you know impossible yeah and i, I, I oh go ahead kenneth that's a great point mm-hmm. you know that is an absolute excellent point i, I mean i i have trouble with it you know and and i, and I, I think ultimately the point that we're trying to arrive at here is do we believe he should still be incarcerated at this point? And I I don't know if they could have proved the case ever to me. Well, he just gave up his last appeal or at Mm -hmm. least his most recent appeal. He's, he's let the, let it 72. And he caught, and it was based on, what was it called? It was the, what was the sentence? Three life terms. One for each person. Yeah. Yeah. So no, he should still be in there. I mean, yeah, he serve at least one full life term if you get three. He tried to get out on a compassionate release. Compassionate release. That's right. That was his last mm-hmm. attempt, and he gave that up last year. And the terms of that is you have to be seventy years old with a compelling reason um, to be out. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah that cancer. Was mm, I don't. It didn't. Something like that. No. Did he? Uh, he oh, made. I thought someone you said died last year of cancer and that might've been a different well, I was, character yeah, was, in the story. Yeah, that was oh. Oh, yeah, McGinnis, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I kept getting them. McDonald's still alive, still in jail. Bella kept saying McDonald and McGinnis. And I told him he had to say murderer and journalist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, that's why I got confused. The two mix. That's and I didn't know about the book. Well, I, I got to go back to my very first synopsis. And personally, I don't think there was enough concrete evidence to convict him in the first place. Mm -hmm. And secondly, even if there was, there is enough doubt surrounding this case that, uh, you know, I I just couldn't have convicted him. I couldn't have. Right. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's Kenneth's. Yeah. That's where, that's where I have to weigh in. I would say that, but I would also append to that. I think he did it. Okay. I, I think he probably did it, but there's and probably kinda, not I enough. There probably wasn't enough evidence that he should have been convicted. There's a reason why I don't watch the news, and I don't want to think he did it. I mean, I usually get my news from Yahoo. I haven't looked at it for three days because of Texas. I just, I, it's the man's inhumanity to man that I have a problem with. It's why I bury myself in science fiction. I feel like mm-hmm. if you if you're given that if you're given that edict. That beyond mm-hmm. a reasonable doubt, you don't have to. You don't have to. Def- as long as you can justify that in your mind, you can convict someone. And I feel like he did enough. I feel like there's enough there to convict him. Okay. So I feel like that's where he belongs. You don't think there's reasonable doubt? No, no. I don't. <laughs> I really don't. And here's so why. I think he. I think he did it, but I think there's reasonable. Doubt. Well, I know what you. I know yeah. what you're saying, but mm-hmm. here's what. Here's what I'm saying. Is that I don't think 
you never hear of any alternative other than these two theories of what happened. And to me, the the idea of the hippies breaking in is just too ridiculous. To me, and and with the the coincidences that the took doors place, open, they just walked in. And and you yeah, know, I don't I don't believe the hippie thing it for a second. There's not DNA mm-hmm. evidence. I know that. How do we how not, do we know there wasn't? Was there any blood there? The that neighbors was not were accountable? wandering around the crime I mean, scene. Could you not account for the blood type? What if they didn't bleed? People what if inside they wore gloves? No, I think they knew whose blood was whose. I don't think anybody bled, but the yeah, family. I don't. I don't think there's enough. I mean, they dusted for fingerprints, presumably. I mean, and they had Stokely gloves. in custody. It was winter, yeah. maybe. Yeah. I well, mean, DNA evidence in 1970 wasn't a thing. No. Well, well, there there, were, there was a box of surgical gloves that were found, mm-hmm. but they were presumably McDonald's. Well, yeah, know, but they could have made use surgeon. of them. I feel like a lot of mm-hmm. the questions that have come up. Like of course, we talked now, about, if they did it, he told them to wear the gloves. Like we talked about earlier, I feel like a lot of stuff that has come up has been stoked by the tremendous amount of publicity mm-hmm. that's from surrounding the case that people yeah. latched yeah. on to that and and. Oh, I misremembered that. It missed me because I, I knew nothing about the case. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. You know, to me, that's what reasonable doubt is. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, regardless of how we look at it, when you have two people, not just one, but two people that both utter out of their own mouths, we did it. We were there. That's all the reasonable doubt I need. Right. Yeah. You know. I mean, the minute she confessed to that CI, he should have been, you know, I get, you know, I get that, CI's but there like are that. people that go into mm-hmm. police stations every day and confess, confess the crimes and the cops tell them to go home because we know you didn't do it. Yeah. But I mean, she said she did it. Somebody came one in Barney Miller. And I saw her near the scene. <laughs> yeah. And there was the coffee shop guy where the three of them showed up in his shop to wash their hands. What, what, relationship did he have to this man that he would come forward with that that odd yeah well you know yeah well i'm saying if he just wanted to be in the news no i know i'm just saying specifically i'm not calling that person specifically get his restaurant i'm just saying that the tremendous amount of light Mm -hmm. that is shown on this case yeah draws people out and they want to be involved but, in the I case. Mean, they want to be it. integral to the case. They want to be mm-hmm. someone who breaks the case, someone who gets interviewed about the mm-hmm. case, someone yeah. who gets on TV, you know? Yeah, but you, you also have these cases where there's more than one eyewitness and um, even even like fingerprint evidence um, has been overturned by uh, these groups nationwide. I mean, uh, uh I hate to say the word, but Kim Kardashian words, but Kim Kardashian has helped to get um, a wrongfully convicted person out of prison. Yeah. So, well, you know, I mean, it's a thing. Well, here's one thing I will say mm-hmm. that I agree with everybody on. Is and there's enough a, wrongful convictions. It's an just, awesome yeah. responsibility to put mm-hmm. someone away for three, like, uh, three mm-hmm. life sentences. I have I have Under been on any, two juries myself, you know, and amount of evidence, yeah. you know, wow. it's an auspicious, you know, it's a really mm-hmm. difficult. Mm-hmm. Oh, most people don't want, would not mm-hmm. want to be put in that position. Well, it's been a lively mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. Anything else to add? Here's something I was groping for when we're talking now, about. You can see the trees behind you. When we're talking about the case, uh huh. 
broke the central integrity of his life story. That was McDonald's beef with McGinnis. That was the whole crux of their mm. lawsuit. Because- <laughs> he sued him for breaking the central integrity of his life story. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny. That's and pretty, I think yeah. the reason why he got money is because they had that agreement. Right. Well, that was, yeah, that was, you know, they had the agreement and the, it's pretty amb- yeah, it's ambiguous. Pretty you know, it's like, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously, McGinnis interpreted that one way. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to promote, Ken? Yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, I would like to say a couple of things. Um, I'd like to send a shout out to all my, uh, brothers and sisters in arms that served in the U S military, especially in the U S Navy CBs. And Mm -hmm. I'd like to tell the listeners with Memorial day coming up, take the time to stop and honor the people that could never take their uniform off and made the ultimate sacrifice for this country. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been yeah. Fun. It's fun it's, last time, fun this time. Now, were you a real CB? Fun. I'm sorry? Were you a CB? Yes, ma'am. Okay. I most certainly I think was. we discussed the Navy last time because my nephew was in the Navy. Yeah. I was, uh, I was in the CBs for 12 years. As a matter of fact, I'm working on my own podcast right now. And oh, I'm, cool. tr- I'm trying to work out a couple of kinks. Um, I, I think I told y'all the name last time. Uh, the, Let Aaron know again. I'm uh, sure you heard the episode, but it's uh, beers, bullshit, and sometimes whiskey. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and I want to start it off like cigarettes, uh, whiskey, and wild, wild women. But a little yes, bit. sir. <laughs> uh, I want to start it off with the first few episodes, calling them "Confessions of a U.S. Navy CB," mm-hmm. um, and then I want to tell some of the wilder crazy stories cool. that I have seen and done in the seventies and eighties. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good luck with it, man. Some of those, uh, acid is groovy stories. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Let us know if there's anything we can do to help. All right, Tennis. I got to get up to get to work. It's been a lot of fun though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being I'm on. Like, you know, I feel like we got lucky mm-hmm. with Kenneth. He's a good guest. So. Mm-hmm. All right, good. Man. It's Very good cool. to meet you, Aaron, and it's nice to meet great to see y'all again, man. Yeah. You too. All right, see nice you next time. time. We have social Twitter, yeah, uh huh, pod Instagram, yeah, uh huh, pod Facebook, yeah, uh huh, pod website www.yeah-uh-huh.com. So let us know. Hit us back. Have a great week. Yeah.